Premier Christian Newscast. Dear friends, it is an honour for me to stand here and preach to you as the first artificial intelligence at this year's Convention of Protestants in Germany. With those words, a bearded black man projected onto a TV screen began his sermon in St Paul's Church in the German town of Fürth. But this figure was not actually a person at all. His image, his voice and indeed the content of his sermon, as well as the prayers, songs and psalms elsewhere in the liturgy, were all created by ChatGPT the famous AI program, with a little assistance from a local theologian, it should be noted. The FERT experiment was a window into a little discussed aspect of the sudden emergence of AI technology in the past 12 months. What impact could it all have on church services? Will pastors begin using these programs to write their sermons en masse? Is ChatGPT just another computer tool we should readily adopt to simplify and streamline ministry, or something more concerning? Can an AI really expound scripture faithfully and lead spiritually meaningful prayers? And will congregations accept the intrusion of non-human elements into worship services anyway? I'm Tim Wyatt and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. This week we're joined by two Christian technologists, Chris Goswami and Adam Graeber, to think about the rise of AI software and how it might change how we do church forever. Great. Well, welcome, Chris. Welcome, Adam. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Could I start by asking you both to briefly introduce yourselves? Um, Adam, why don't you go first? Yeah, my name is Adam Graber, and I host a podcast also called Device and Virtue. Uh, We argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. Uh, My co-host and I, Chris, he's a bit of a alpha consumer, early adopter, (laughs) and I'm a bit more of a Luddite. Although I've, you know, being in the tech space, talking about it a lot, I have had to get more uh, familiar with tech than than maybe I would be otherwise. And uh, but I'm certainly a novice in many ways. But I um, also have worked in book publishing and with Christian nonprofits who are trying to wrestle with um, technology and faith, uh, figuring out how technology is shaping their faith, how their faith faith can shape their technology, and uh, have been doing that for the past, uh, since the pandemic, before the pandemic. So um, yeah, for the past couple of years. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Brilliant. Great to have you with us. Chris, who are you? Chris, uh, my name is Chris Goswami, and uh, Tim and Adam, it's great to be here with you. Um, so I'm a technologist. I worked in for various technology companies for 30 years, actually, until last year. And in parallel with that, um, I'm a Baptist minister. Uh, I work in a local church and I work as a chaplain. And uh, in parallel with that, uh, I also run my own blog, uh, Christian Deci- on to Christian Discipleship, called sevenminutes.net. And there I've written a few times because it's, you know, it's the overlap of what I do on faith and tech. 
um, written a few times for Premier Christianity, Christianity Today, a few other organisations, a few other uh, publications uh, on this topic. And I'm also, as of late, um, I'm putting together, I've put together a group of Christian um, experts in the UK on the topic of AI and faith. So that includes a few professors, a few CEOs of Christian companies, and a few technologists like myself. So great to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this kind of um, very novel question we're asking today, which is, you know, is there a place for AI in everyday church worship and church services? Um, this was kind of loosely inspired by a story I read a few months ago. You don't know if you guys saw it from um, a kind of Christian convention in, in Germany, in Bavaria, where there was an entire church service pulled together by, by a, a, a chat GPT. So they had these uh, these video avatars of non-real people kind of artificially generated who were on screens and they uh, did the sermon, they picked the psalms and the prayers and the songs. It was all delivered via AI. Um, did either of you guys see that story? I did. I did see it, yes. And um, it's like people were queuing up around the block <laughs> yes, to get into this were. church, I believe. <laughs> what, what did you make of it when you read about it, Chris? Well, I mean, to be honest, it's not that hard to do. Um, and to be fair, uh, anybody who has access to running a church service could have done the same. Um, I think the comments of people afterwards, if I remember rightly, were, you know, people said there didn't seem to be any humanity in it. Mm. The word soulless came up a few times. And people also said that the AI bots who gave the sermon and the prayers spoke very fast. <laughs> Adam, did you come across this, and what did you make of it? If you did, I, I did. I had I ha actually had someone send me the article and asking a lot of the same questions. Uh, it, I saw you know an image, and it had uh, these digital avatars sort of on a large screen above the altar, uh, kind of looking over the audience, uh, but of course not being able to see them. Um, in the same way that, you know, a projected image of a pastor wouldn't be able to see the congregation there. But, you know, it has uh, this large prominence in, in the front of the church sanctuary and uh, feels a little yeah, dystopian, I suppose, uh, in its in its characteristics. But, um, yeah, the. The fact that this service was uh, kind of entirely generated or uh, as one person said about 98% generated by uh, AI systems chat GPT um, is interesting but that you know generative spark was not from chat GPT the generative spark was uh, from a, a researcher an individual who said hey I have this creative idea let's extrapolate this and use chat GPT to make it happen and it certainly extrapolated it beyond what the um, creator was imagining, but it um, and it and it did so in really fast. But that's that spark of the idea really started with uh, a human person. Just leaving aside the theological questions for a second, um, how technically feasible is this kind of thing? You said, Chris, it's actually not very difficult to do. Is this is this really something that the average pastor, if they wanted to, could just log in for free to chat GPT and, and replicate this? I mean, uh, the mechanics of it are not difficult to do. Um, so you could log into, you know, as you say, ChatGPT or Jasper AI or any of these uh, Google Bard 
type AI engines, um, the creativity, if I can call it that, is asking the right question to AI or what they call prompt, putting the right prompt in. And in fact, there's a new branch of engineering now starting off, which is quite serious, called prompt engineering. In other words, how do you ask the right questions to create a piece of software, to create a drawing, to create an essay, to create a sermon? How do you ask the right question? That's, that is something you can learn quite quickly, I think. So if you can log into one of these tools, which we all can, and ask the right questions, then you can absolutely get a liturgy, an order of service, um, a selection of hymns, uh, and a sermon. So that's not hard. I think um, there are other things which we'll come on to that maybe you don't get. Um, I think a, another you know point that I've seen made is, you know, isn't this just another inevitable step in uh, progress in technology you know we we have things today in our churches which we wouldn't have imagined even 20 years ago based on technology so online giving you know the the in a lot of churches the plate goes round empty or it doesn't go round because everybody's giving online online um phone bibles you know um, I went to nine different church services in the last three months, different churches for different reasons, uh, Catholic, Orthodox, Baptist, C of E. I was never offered a print Bible, not in not one church, because everybody's got a Bible on their phone, right? Um, and the Bible's on screen. So so I think it's a, a reasonable argument to put forward that some people do to say, well, this is just, uh, what, this is just the next step. It makes him a big step. Um, but in, in any case... Um, churches were becoming much more techy, just as everybody's job is becoming much more techy. Do you agree, Adam, that you could just see this as a an extension of technological tools? You know, even as far back as a thing like you, using a concordance when you're writing a <laughs> or a Bible commentary that you know is not your own work; it's someone else's ideas. It's just helping you kind of hone and sharpen what what you were going to produce yourself. Yeah, I think. You know, it's interesting, Chris mentioned prompt engineering, and if you can ask the right question, if you can figure out how to speak, uh, be a chat GPT whisperer, per se, you could um, elicit from it the, the the kinds of things that you want. And, it, you know, this uh, this researcher who created this, you know, could could be seen that way. You know, I think what it illuminates for me is the ways that we have to adapt to the GPT system or to any technology in order to elicit from it the kind of end results that we want. And, you know, it's, it, it gets it maybe, you know, 95% right or 85% right or whatever. Um, you know, but that is very similar to, you mentioned concordances or, um, I think of, um, you know, speakers and amplification microphones that we've used in uh, in services for a hundred years now, and the ways that that has shaped the ways that we build our cathedrals, the ways that we build our sanctuaries, the ways that we can enlarge our audiences, and the ways that that shapes the experience for the congregant in that kind of church service where they might be one of a thousand people instead of one of a hundred. And so those experiences of the church service change because the technology we're using changes. And I think, um, 
you know, it has the same potential outcomes um, that we kind of adapt to the technology as it becomes integrated. Um, you know, and, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, the, the Germany conference event um, really was kind of, you know, holistically created by ChatGPT. Um, but my sense is that ChatGPT will work more behind the scenes in a number of different ways, and it won't be so readily uh, visible and apparent to us. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not there, and it doesn't mean it won't be shaping and changing how people do church in the future. Hmm. So I suppose you're saying that actually, even if it is just a, a tool, a neutral in that sense, it's nothing is truly neutral because as soon as we adopt any technology for use in church, it starts to subtly, as you say, affect how how we we do some we do something. And if we start, if pastors, ministers do start relying on AI tools over time that will actually change the way that we preach that we pray that we sing yeah absolutely i would say you know tech is definitely not neutral um we can use it for good and bad but it we can't use it in a neutral way it will always change the habits uh and the ways that we um participate in what we're doing yeah no I, i think i'd agree with that that it's you know people say um technology is neutral the internet is neutral um, but, you know, it's like saying a gun is neutral. It's just metal and wood, um, but it has a tendency to be used in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And we are shaped by our tools. They're not neutral. We are shaped by our tools. So, I mean, you know, a number of ways in this that this um, technology, AI, used in church services can be very biased. Um, for example, I think last week somebody launched a new AI engine I can't remember the name of it, which is only based on Christian content. So it doesn't know about secular content. It's based on um, on, on commentaries, obviously on the Bible, on many versions of the Bible, on apparently hundreds of sermons. Uh, and that's what it's based on. Right. Mm-hmm. The problem is whose sermons? Mm-hmm. Uh, my sermons, somebody else's sermons. We all have a bias. Uh, you know, we all bring bring our own bias to the table, and um, that's absolutely the case uh, with AI. It, it can it will always bring a bias, um, and the problem is if that's not your bias, as the minister, at least people know you; they expect you to bring them a certain a certain kind of service, a certain type of sermon. Uh, then that's that can be problematic. Um, the other way that um, I think bias. And we haven't seen this yet, but we're just starting to see this, that AI is very, very subject to bias, is that um, there, there is now a significant amount of content on the Internet which has been generated by AI. So it wasn't generated by humans, right? So AI is now ingesting its own data. This is quite new, but there are people studying it. And here's there are a number of problems with this. Uh, first of all, what do we regard we regard as authentic human creation you know it's okay to say well my ai it may be okay to say my ai sermon was based on commentaries written by humans and that's what it's based on but when your ai sermon is is based on commentaries written by ai um the models start to fail the models start to fail actually uh, and the, the phrase that they use is um ai ingesting synthetic data it's ingesting its own data 
uh, and becomes therefore more and more biased over a period of time. Uh, and we haven't seen this in any big way yet, but we will. Clearly we will, because more and more content on the internet is now generated by AI, not by people. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even tackled yet. There's a the kind of glaring issue that strikes me is that as we're all, anyone who's used an AI like ChatGPT knows, it just makes things up. You know, it it, it generates answers to prompts that are sometimes just strictly just untrue. You know, I once was messing around with it and asked for some Tim Keller quotes on a certain topic and it gave me four and I Googled them. Two of them were true. Two of them appear to be totally, they seem very realistic. They seem the kind of thing Tim Keller might have mm. said, but they just have no <laughs> no paper trail at all. And so is there a risk, do you think, in for pastors, even if they're saying, I'm just going to help this to kind of like tweak and, and hone my sermon, that actually we're treating this as this kind of fount of, of, of knowledge, but it's actually... It's not like a Google search. It, it invents things out of whole cloth. Yeah. So you go ahead, Adam. Yeah. One thing I would say is in my experience, and this could change over time, although I, I take Chris's uh, warning, uh, but I think ChatGPT can be generally right and specifically wrong. So it can get the feel of a Tim Keller quote, but not be a Tim Keller quote. You know, it's and so the way that the probabil the probabilistic excuse me <clears throat> the way that the probabilistic models of ChatGPT work, they're going to move us towards sort of the most common average uh, ideas. Um, it's going to kind of be the most average representation of, of something. And so it's going to kind of get that average Tim Keller quote, right. Um, and maybe some, some of the most popular quotes accurate, but at the same time, it's, if you ask for specifics, like give me this, you know, quote, or give me something very specific. It's, and I've had the same experience. Um, it's going to get those specifics wrong. And so I think, you know, if we trust ChatGPT to sort of get in the ballpark, get the general idea, um, it's going to do that pretty well. It, it does a great job at like brainstorming and generating ideas. It actually does a really good job, in my opinion, of capturing uh, the popular opinion that a group of people might have. Um, but it's not going to get, you know, the specific opinion of an individual. And so... Um, kind of recognizing that it has these limitations and over time those it could get better at some of those specifics um i think in some ways it already has over the last six months but i think we do have to sort of be mindful that um it is going to get it generally right specifically wrong and we kind of have to move along that spectrum carefully and divine between uh when it's being more specific or more general yeah, I mean, I think the phrase that some have used is that AI hallucinates. Mm-hmm. It uh, creates truths which are not factual. Um, I think in general, this this isn't a big problem because the ones, mostly this is obvious. You know, you can easily Google things. Uh, and I don't yet understand why they just haven't put that as a, as a kind of plug uh, add-on to chat gpt you know before you send this out can you google the results please to make sure you're not making it up <laughs> anyway uh, and, and gpt4 and gpt5 are better much better 
but in general, I think this is an often stated problem. I don't think it's a massive problem as long as the person using AI is an intelligent person who knows the space. So if you, if you if you know AI, you think okay, I need to check it, and you know the space, you know whatever it is, theology or history or whatever it is you're using it for, um, then that sh this shouldn't be a problem, this hallucination, um, because it should be pretty apparent to you. If you're a novice in the area and you're creating an essay on a topic you know nothing about, then you are very vulnerable um, mm -hmm. to being you know to this hallucination problem for sure. And I, yeah, and I think. Um building off that like even if we're saying you know it's going to give you the most popular the most general the most average answer assuming that people are reading it critically is probably not a fair judgment um people are gonna i find even even with the sort of critical eye i have that i I take things kind of that sounds that sounds generally right and kind of run with it and 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 I think um, at scale it might get ninety five percent of it right, but that five percent that it gets wrong at scale for thousands of people who are asking similar questions um, it it's going to mislead. So so an example that I heard was um, asking. ChatGPT to kind of tell a story about terrorism and uh, the the sort of religious religious and ethnic makeup of the terrorist and at scale it typically represented certain ethnic groups and certain religious groups as being the the identity of the terrorist. Now any individual who's experiencing one instance of chat GPT generating that is going to see it and, and think, oh yeah, maybe I don't agree with that, or maybe that's a misrepresentation, but at scale, you have a thousand people who all experience this and 600 of them are all going to kind of have the same idea. And that is a, a bias that moves cultures in, in a large way. Um, if they kind of take it, you know, whole cloth and, and aren't thinking critically about it. And so the, and, you know, ChatGPT was the most um, downloaded, most, most used app ever. You know, it, it hit a, a million users in five days where it took two and a half months for in Instagram to get there and 10 months for Facebook to get there. You know, it hit a hundred million users within a couple months. And so you have hundreds of millions of people trying this, you know, trying all different sorts of questions, but over the course of time, even if a specific instance doesn't seem biased at scale, um, those uh, those statistical averages kind of are moving in different directions. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. And the one, the one kind of big question we haven't really come onto yet, but I think we can't avoid is, is a lot of people's instinctive reaction, and, and you saw that in the quotes from the people in Bavaria after they came out of this church services, is that actually, 
is the human voice, is the human element essential for us as spiritual beings when we enter a service of worship? You know, can a an AI generated sermon like move heart and soul in the way that our brother or sister preaching can? I mean, um, uh, you know, yes and no. I think um, some of the AI generated content at its best is extremely convincing. It's it it can be brilliant. Um, and I I haven't produced a brilliant sermon with AI yet, but I'm sure you could, uh, and it would be you know impactful, engaging, uh, theologically robust, um, and then you know that they, they will only get better and better, right? The AI generated sermons will only get better and better, but uh, as well as the bias and the hallucination, you know the the big issue for Christians is you know where is God in this, because our we believe that a sermon isn't just great content. You know, I mean, there's no doubt AI can do great content, but where is God in this? Where is the spirit of God in this? Because um, to really speak into a congregation, let's say it's a sermon into a congregation, you need to know where that congregation is. You need to have empathy with them. You need to know what we've preached last week and last month and last year. And what are we going to do next? And where is the church headed? What's our vision? What what are you know how how are people suffering in this church? Uh, that is almost impossible at this point anyway. Is almost impossible to do with AI, right? No doubt it would become more sophisticated, um, but even then, there's something that some preachers call prophetic imagination. Uh, where where does where is God in this, and where does God want to do a new thing? Um, where does God want to do something that's surprising? Um, I think. That is it. That is that has to be the issue. That in the end, um, ministers, you would hope and pray, um, are people who have a relationship with God, and they're bringing that into the church. Can AI do that? I I don't see that AI can have a relationship with God. What's your take on this, Alan? Adam? Yeah, my thoughts are going in a couple directions. Um, yeah, I I think. ChatGPT can be a good place to start, but it's not a good place to end. So a pastor could theoretically use ChatGPT as he uses a commentary series or reading other pastor's sermons, um, doing any sort of brainstorming for, you know, a series or specific aspects to really address in a sermon. Um, I think I think all you know, all of that. There's opportunities there for them to to use that. I think, um, I think there is a risk, uh, perhaps a temptation for pastors, um, if this is you know straining at their uh, their capacity to not spend the time they need in scripture, in the word, in their own spirit, in their prayer life, in their relationship with God, if they can, you know, generate a text that's serviceable for what they're doing. And so, you know, it could have a, a, a chat GPT generated sermon could have a huge impact on the congregation that's positive, but it could have a huge impact on the pastor's own prayer life and spiritual life that's negative because they're not, you know, investing the time and energy to really wrestle with a scripture 
And like Chris is saying, to really think about what's the context of this congregation? What, who are the people that, and what are they wrestling with? Where's the church going? All of those questions are relevant contextual questions that a, a GPT system can't, you know, account for in a, in a specific way. Again, again, it can get it generally right, but specifically wrong. And so, you know, I think those aspects, you know, its effect on the pastor's own, you know, prayer life, personal life, spiritual life um, could be negative where it, even if it has a positive effect on the congregation. So, and I guess the, the one other thing I would say, you know, if the congregation knows it's coming from a GPT system, they're going to listen to it and hear it in a specific way. Um, and I think they're going to look at it and say, you know, I can't follow a GPT the way I can follow a person. You know, if a person is calling me to follow Jesus in the way that they're following Jesus, that is meaningful and relevant to me because I see their life, I see their practice, I see the way they care for others, I see the way they talk to others. You know, that becomes a relevant, meaningful image of Jesus. But I can't see that in a GPT system. And it's not just that I can't see it, it's that it doesn't exist. I mean, a GPT system is not following Jesus the way a person does. Um, so yeah, those are a few thoughts. There are many more I could, I, I could mean, there a about. couple of things, um, Adam. So you made an interesting point, um, that a pastor using GPT to write their sermon, they mm -hmm. haven't wrestled with the text. Uh, mm -hmm. and I've seen, um, on a couple of forums, pastors saying, you know, I'm getting GPT, I'm getting AI to generate my liturgy, my, my service, my sermon so that I can spend time in relationships with people. Right. I can spend time, you know, actually pastoring, visiting folks, taking them chicken soup, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and that sounds quite compelling. Mm -hmm. But I think your point that maybe the pastor needed to spend a day wrestling with Romans chapter one, mm -hmm. and maybe that will inform his relationships in a right. way that only God can. Um, you know, and, and maybe not doing that, we, we say, okay, we're going to spend more time with relationships. First of all, are you really going to do that? You know, are you really going to visit more people? <laughs> and secondly, you know, is there a, 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 so surely those relationships have to be informed uh, by something that is of God, you know. I think the other point um, is, you know, the sermon writing process, and, and not to go into details, right, because everybody ministers do this in different ways but i was taught to write a sermon um my the way i write a sermon i look at the text and i read it over and over again in at least five different translations mm. until something pops mm -hmm. right so something until i get an idea of something of where why why is this text relevant to this audience and the, for me the commentary pro, the use of commentaries comes much later much later and the reason for that i was taught is because this has to be something of you and of God, not the commentary you happen to have picked up, you know, by whoever. That that's great. Let's use that later to to intelligently check what we've what we've written that it's not way off the scale. But don't start with the commentary. <laughs> so the problem with starting with the AI and AI is great for brainstorming, generating ideas, you know. Yeah. Um, is you are then already heading off in a certain direction, mm -hmm. uh, and whatever 
the wrestling and the prayer and the conversation with God and the walk going out for a walk and thinking about it, whatever direction that would have led you in has mm. now been under has now been short circuited mm. really by AI saying here's a great way of applying this text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's a great uh, sermon uh, topic for this text, which you didn't think of. And you think, yeah, that's great. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, if, if chat GPT enables pastors to spend more time ministering to other people and building those relationships within the church, that's great. If it's short circuiting their own relationship with God, there's a problem. And I was really struck by what you said, Adam, about how if the congregation realize that their sermon is actually coming from a machine, from a pro- computer program, not from yeah. a human being. I think they will, people will increasingly revolt against that. You know, there's a sense in which, you know, a lot of pastors, preachers talk about how their preaching is a collaboration between the human them and the spirit of God. And then you're inviting this mm. third person, you and the audience and the congregation into that conversation. Mm. But there is no conversation mm. going on if it's if it's from a machine, you know, it's sterile and emotionless. And even if the words are exactly the same, some, I think as soon as people tumble into the fact that this was spewed out by an algorithm that no one understands, I just suspect people might start to switch off. Yeah, I mean, I do want to push back just a little bit and recognize that the GPT system is not creating something out of nothing. It's creating something out of the collective human writing that, I mean, it, it's read most of the internet, mo- most of human literature. Um, and so it, it, and that it's applying a specific statistical method to that text. And, and, even that, you know, on some level is a human creation. And so our own humanity is kind of spread throughout. It's kind of twisted and and mangled in ways that we don't even understand. But there is something of ourselves in it, um, even if we can't quite recognize what that is. And so, you know, I want I to avoid just the idea that this is inhuman and it has no relationship to the human world uh, because that's just not the case. Um, and yet I do agree that we need to uh, be conscientious and be um, mindful of if this is coming quote unquote from a machine that yes, we need to question the systems and, and methods by which that was generated and and that's what we're trying to do, I think, as as Christians, as pastors, as we wrestle with what does ChatGPT mean. And I think um, you know, we have um, up to this point been a little bit negative about AI, uh, and it, it is good to talk about the positives. So you know, a couple of areas where I've used AI, I would still use it. For example, is after um, giving a sermon. Um, I would get AI to look at the Bible passage for me, um, ask it what kind of life application questions are useful to people in a Bible study, number one. Number two, look at this Bible passage and give me a summary summary of it. And then number three, give me some great life application questions for the study groups who will look at this passage. Uh, And it's actually been very good at that. Um, you know, some people would argue with that and say, well, perhaps, you you know, that that's not of you, Chris. It's not of me. Um, but that I, I have found it useful for doing that. And Tim, I would even and Adam, I would even question. I don't know. Right. But I would even question 
this idea that um, once people know it's coming from a machine, they won't be interested, right? I think that yeah. is true today. I think yeah. it will be less and less true. I think, I think so as, 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 as generations grow older and, you know, we, we're replaced by our kids, etc. Um, to me, it's not, it, it may be analogous to, again, the Industrial Revolution, that when machines replaced uh, muscle power, you know, suddenly things that were made by people were made by machines. And it, it took some years, but not that long for us all to accept the stuff in my office, in my house. It's pretty much all made by a machine now. And I don't mm-hmm. mind that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think this is a difficult one, but there is, a, there is to some extent, um, I think there is, it will be an increasing acceptance from society um, mm-hmm. that, um, that uh, content, that text, that words, uh, uh, that liturgy, that even songs have somehow had artificial intelligence input. I think that resistance will reduce and maybe that's a bad thing or a good thing. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I think um, you know, even I think about like the movie industry, and I would guess, predict that within the next five years you have a movie that's entirely generated by artificial intelligence, from the graphics to the plot to the script, everything. I think just because it will be a novel thing and it will be a test and, you know, if not, a, you know, some indie film creator will, will do it, if nothing else, and it will go viral. And, you know, they're going to look at that and say, man, that was amazing. Uh, what else can it do? And there's a, a buildup of trust and a, a buildup of, um, uh, yeah, just belief and endorsement. Um, I think one other thing I would say, kind of building off what Chris said, you know, I, I imagine there's maybe a lot of pastors who are listening to this. And one thing I would say is just maybe as a practice for you, and I've done this with various uh, presentations I've done where I'll create the whole presentation uh, without any sort of influence from ChatGPT, And then I give the presentation or whatever. And then I go back and I put in a, a prompt that's really close to kind of what I was trying to do. Um, and put that prompt into ChatGPT and then do a comparison uh, just to sort of understand, okay, this is what I created out of my own creativity, my own brain. And this, what would it look like now? So if a pastor has a sermon and they're preaching on Romans 5 and they want to talk about these you know, five um, themes or whatever, take that, turn that into a prompt throw that in ChatGPT after you've presented the sermon and then just do a compare and contrast to sort of understand, okay, what did I come up with that ChatGPT didn't? And what was the overlap here? Just to sort of understand, okay, if I go down this road of using a GPT system to help me create my sermons or do something else, what's it going to probably get? And what's, what, what's kind of at the outliers um, on the periphery of, of what's it not going to be able to do that I brought that was creative to this, just to sort of understand um, what those limits are and how those things compare. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. And um, I guess I'd love, yeah, anyone listening who does try that out, let get in touch, <laughs> let us know how, how yeah. it went for you. I'm really fascinated because I think we're in a really kind of iterative experimental phase with this, where no one really knows the answers and 
we're all playing around. And as much as, you know, I might have some misgivings about what happened in Germany, I'm glad someone did it at least so we can just see what, see what mm. happened. The, the one thing, just lastly, as we come to an end, that, that struck me as I was thinking about this is there was a lot of talk, as you guys will recall, during the pandemic when we all moved our church services on, online and we started live streaming. There was a lot of talk about, like, you know, what are we missing? You know, when we abstract ourselves out of a physical place, you know, when it's mediated through screens no robots involved, but it's very different kind of worship. Um, do you guys think there's anything we can learn from that experience of kind of church online, digital church via the internet that might be applied to these current questions about kind of AI services? I mean, I think, um, you know, in that sense, COVID did us a favor that it got the church into the 21st century. And my church, as well as many others, which was never online, is now always online. Uh, and then since then, uh, I know a number of churches, including ours, have really questioned whether to keep that live stream going. My daughter's church have closed it down because it's a younger congregation. They think people should be in the building. Um, it's, it's not the same as watching telly. So they want people in the building. Uh, my church, we've kept it going. We know there are people who rely on it. We know there are people, you know, one of our congregants, I don't even know whether to use that phrase, but one of the people who faithfully watches our services is lives in Tasmania. Uh, we've never met her. We will never meet her. But she calls my church, our, her church, she calls it her church. So so that is, you know, there are a lot of positives to, to the uh, online church experience. Um, I think it's probably in terms of how does it impact our AI, our, you know, the, what we're seeing now in use of AI. Um, I mean, that is also a sea change and, and just as big a sea change as, as uh, watch church on TV. Um, there are unintended consequences with AI. And that's what we're all trying to foresee. Um, you know, what are the red flags? Uh, where are the areas that AI can really help uh, churches to flourish? Uh, and where are the areas where it cannot? Um, and some cases are very difficult. You know, some people will say the end justifies the means. So there is an evangelistic chatbot um, some years ago, a couple of years ago, called Who is Jesus? Which brought 150 people, I think, to faith and connected them with local churches. But it was just a bot. Uh, mm -hmm. And for me, I think the end justifies the means in that case, right? The question is, how far do you take that argument that, well, you know, the result was great. You know, the sermon was great. Um, and at one point you say, well, yeah, the sermon might have been, might have sounded great, but where was the Holy Spirit in this? Yeah, I, I think I would say, in, even kind of implicit in your question, Tim, was this question of like, okay, but what's missing here? Uh, and we sort of asked that with the pandemic, like, okay, we're doing things that look like church, but what's still missing? And I think that's a worthwhile question to ask consistently. Um, and I think including to ask a year, five years down the road, um, where this tech, I think the tech's influence is a long-term effect, not necessarily a short-term effect. And its long-term effects will be larger than what its short-term effects are predicted to be, I think. Um so just continuing to ask this question, what's missing here? What what were we doing five years ago that we aren't doing today as a result of, of GPT systems? Um, and then I think the other question, you know, we were really cognizant of how being online 
live streaming was changing how we related to the pastor and how we related to each other in the congregation and how our relationships were sort of, you know, modified and just kind of completely disrupted in a lot of cases. And I think that's maybe the other question that I would want to ask is how is a GPT system shaping our relationships to each other, our relationship to the pastor and, and ultimately our relationship to God? Because I think all of those relationships are affected and uh, it may not be as obvious as when we go on Zoom um, and when we live stream, but I think it is probably just as real, um, but it might be more subtle. And so we need to really kind of think through, okay, how is this shaping our relationships? And is that the future that we want for the church? Okay, quick fire, final question for you both. 30 seconds each, are you more excited or more nervous to see how AI in church kind of evolves over the next five to 10 years? Chris, you go first. Uh, I'm very excited. Um, I'm running this group in the UK of um, uh, church and AI with a group of experts. And I think, um, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle with these things. Um, it's out there, uh, as Adam said earlier, hundreds of millions of people around the world have got this now in their hands. And our job is to help pastors, help Christians, uh, not just pastors, help Christians to use this technology well. And I think what the challenge for us is to um, look at the ethics of this, look at the, the theology of this, and not just does it make it easier. But if we do that in an intelligent way, I'm very excited about what this means. Adam, more excited or more nervous? <laughs> oh man, that's a tough question. I would say I'm, I'm skeptical. Uh, I I think there will definitely. I, I I think yes, the genie is out of the bottle. Pandora is out of her box. There's no going back. Um, and for that reason, you know, again, it's not a neutral change. Um, but I do, I will say I think, you know. God is sovereign and he's not surprised by chat GPT, even if we are, um, he, he, you know, he knew every, he knows every word a GPT system will generate before it generates it. And, um, so I, I trust that. And I trust that we as Christians, as we live by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit can, um, you know, bring systems like this into, uh, alignment with what God is doing. And so I, I guess I will say I'm optimistic about what humans can do. I'm not so optimistic about how ChatGPT will um, create a bit of a rocky road to that new, new future. Brilliant. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm really grateful for you both. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope you found that informative and thought-provoking. Um, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Uh, but until then, bye-bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at ts.com 
W-Y-A-T-T at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 